We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and two weeks ago we took a break uh, to focus on the resurrection of Christ at Easter time. Uh, and then last week we had uh, Pastor Upchurch come in from Lawrence who preached a great sermon on Samson and Delilah. Uh, and this week we're going to be back in the book of Ephesians. So if you've got a Bible, a phone, something with the Word of God on it, uh, go ahead and pull it out and head over to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, and in chapter 3 where we are, it, uh, it really it began, when it began, Paul was uh, about to pray, if you remember, and he's about to launch into this prayer. And, and then he goes on this, this, this rabbit trail. Uh, this small but wonderful rabbit trail about the mystery of, of the gospel being revealed uh, to include men and women from every nation around the world. Um, and then in verse 14, he finally gets back to the prayer that he intended to pray from the very beginning. And, and so far, we, we took that prayer into two, two sections. We went through the main section of it last time, and, and in that we saw that he was praying for the Holy Spirit uh, to strengthen Christians, uh, that he was praying for the spirit of Christ, as he puts it, uh, to dwell in our hearts, that we would be grounded in love, and that we would understand just how deeply, just how amazingly um, God has loved us. And uh, so then our, our passage today is, is very short. You might notice there, it's just two verses. Uh, and these are the last two little verses in, in this prayer of Paul's that he's praying. Uh, and it's also what's called a, a doxology. Uh, a doxology, it, it's uh, two Greek words, actually, that are, are put together, doxa meaning uh, glory, and uh, logia meaning, meaning uh, to speak, to, to speak of praise. And so uh, you might even notice in our bulletin at the very end of the service, the last thing we do together as a, as a people of God uh, in the worship service is to sing a, a doxology. Uh, that one we sing was written in the 1600s. Uh, the one in our passage today is older than that. Uh, so anyway, in this passage, it's a, an expression of... Uh, or a doxology, it's an expression of praise to God. And one of the neat things here is that Paul has been praying, and this, this doxology just kind of flows out of him. Uh, it's not one of those, um, I don't know, it's not wooden or, or, or technical in that sense. It's just this, this flow of praise from him about his affections and his love for our triune God. And, and so I love it for that. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to focus on verses 20 and 21, but... Uh, love to give you context, especially since we've been out for two weeks uh, from the passage. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to start in verse 14, and we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter, uh, which isn't that far. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, this is the day that, that you have made, and in your providence we are here together. Um, we have read your word. We desire to understand your word, to believe it, to apply it to our hearts and lives. And so we ask that you enlighten the eyes of our hearts and that you free us from so many distractions so that, 
like Mary at the feet of Jesus, we might focus on your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you had to really narrow it down, the the thrust of this prayer is that we know that God can do amazing things. Amazing things for for his people, that he can give us hope even in in the most hopeless of situations. Um, Which I think you and I need to hear even more than we might realize. I think too often we are convinced of this idea that yes, indeed, God loves us, but we have this this doubt somewhere under the surface about whether he's willing to help us in in situations. Uh, To put this another way, where do you look when you find yourself completely exhausted by life? Where do you look when you find yourself exhausted by school, by work, by parenting, when, when the doctor's report is absolutely crushing and fearful, or when your, your friendships or, or your marriage just feel strained, uh, when, when, when you find yourself failing in the, in the battle against some, some sin in your life and, and it's just left you with this overwhelming shame, when you, when, when you see all dark clouds and, and no bright skies ahead of you, where you go, you know, where do you go if, if maybe you remember a, a time in the past when, when, when the scripture excited you, when you were uh, just overjoyed to, to wake up and, and to pray to God and speak to him? And, and now you're, you're ashamed to admit that most days you'd rather just cuddle up on the couch and see what's on Netflix. And where do you go? Maybe, maybe you fear that your heart has grown cold in those moments. And, and the question that you really need to answer is, is there hope for for renewals or hope in this situation. Uh, it, it may just be that you're wondering, you know, can I, can I overcome whatever it is that just has me feeling hopeless? You know, am I able? That's the, the question, am I able? And, and, and to be honest, the answer is, is no. You are not able. Um, you are not able the hope is this, though. There is one who is able. The, the Lord God Almighty, he is able. Um, not just with the, the, the most important things that we need, the most important thing of all, not just with our salvation and the forgiveness of sin, though that is an amazing, glorious thing, but, but in other things as well. I mean, do you know, do you really know that, that God is able, when our, when our jobs seem impossible, when our husbands are, not our husbands, when your husbands are deployed, <laughs> When you get the medical results that I mentioned before, they're just terrifying. You know, when, when you're parenting and, and you just can't imagine a way forward, you know, do you, do you know that God is able in those moments? In short, whatever the issue, the, the thing we need to see right off the bat is that this passage is teaching us quite clearly that our God is able. Um, you know, for the, the sake of precision here, you know, we, we worship and serve a triune God, but for the sake of precision here, you need to know that that word him right there at the beginning is referring to God the Father. Uh, and that's important because you're going to see the, the Spirit and the, and the Son at work later on in this passage. Uh, and so the, the phrase here, to him who is able, that is a fairly common passage in Scripture. If you've read much in the New Testament, you've likely seen it many times. Uh, One such instance is Romans 16, verse 25, where we read this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So there's a strengthening. 
Uh, in Jude one twenty four, we learn that the work God is doing uh, in believers, as it, as it there states, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless and, uh, before the presence of the glory of God with great joy. And, and so that our, our focus this morning, though, is a, a passage just like that, you know, that begins with that phrase, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. God can do more than we ask and more than we think. Um, in fact, it says God can do far more. Actually, it's more than that, right? Even, even more than that. God can do far more abundantly. That is a redundant snowball of abundance there. It is this, this it can be translated just infinitely more. It's this idea of just so much that it's just endless. And the point is that there is, there is absolutely nothing beyond the ability of, of our God. And the first thing, you know, as I'm reading this this, this week, on, on Monday morning, I've usually read it before, but I, I get into it and I, I just read it again on Monday morning. And I read this, and, and the first thing that occurred to me is that we ask too little for a God this big. Far too little. At least I do. Um, maybe you do a better job than that. But, but I ask far too little in my prayers, and I expect far too little of God in my thoughts, if I'm honest. So what, a, what exactly are we learning here from this passage? How is God able? And we see there, it's quite clear, um, if you look at the passage in front of you, according to the power at work within us. Uh, well, well, what power is at work within us? Uh, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the power at work within us. And, and we know that's true. We, we know that if your faith is in Christ, that you've been filled with the Spirit. And so then the reason that we, that we ever have such a small view of God and His power and His ability to do what we ask or think is that uh, we hugely underestimate the power of God's Spirit working within us. Hugely. Um, I, I was thinking about this, and I, I was reminded of a story about Rich Mullins. He was a musician. I don't even know if some of you younger people even know who he is now. Um, but he, he lived a very frugal, simple life. He was, he was single. Um, and he never wanted to know how much money was in his bank account. He just didn't want to know. He didn't trust himself with that information. And so uh, he had an accountant, and his accountant never gave him that information. And uh, there was a time when he actually met this, this teacher who's raising funds for these students to go on a trip. And, and, and he wanted to help them out. They needed $3,000. It seemed like an insane amount of money. Uh, and so he kind of you know, hesitantly asked his accountant, uh, do I have enough money to do this? Uh, is this something I can do? And, and the accountant, you know, as he reflects on this later, found it kind of funny because uh, Rich Mullins had tons of money. Uh, the $3,000 he's asking for from his accountant was nothing, and here he is having to answer him, yes, yes, you're able to do that. Um, and, and, and we live that way sometimes, you know, when we fail to just understand how powerful our God is and, 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 and who dwells in us as believers. You know, Christians, this means that we can and we should pray more boldly. Um, I think at, at times we're too afraid to pray for big things. Um, and, and that's because we forget just how powerful our sovereign God is. I'm telling you, you, you should boldly ask that God work in you to, to, to overcome that, that nasty, deep-rooted sin that just seems impossible. 
That, that he would restore relationships in your life that are, that are nothing but just a pile of rubble right now and you think there's no way that can be restored, you know? These are the things we should be asking God for, that, that God would heal us from both medical and emotional issues that we're facing and, and, and why? The reason is because, because God is able far beyond our expectations far beyond our expectation. God works beyond expectations. Often, you, you know in the scriptures, you read these stories that, that Jesus feeds 5,000 people, right, with, with five loaves and two fish. Far beyond what anyone in that situation expected. In John 5, Jesus speaks to a man who had been an invalid, unable to, to walk for 38 years, and, and he walks up to this man who, and asks him, you know, do you want to be healed? You're thinking, well, of course he's going to say yes, right? But the, the man responds by explaining all these reasons why he can't be healed. And Jesus does far more abundantly than this man could have ever imagined because Jesus heals him right then in that very moment. Uh, you remember the story of, of, of Jesus on the, when he calms a storm, right? Mark 4, verse 36, and so on. Jesus is in the boat, uh, and in that passage in Mark 4, we read this. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking in the bo- into the boat, so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Even in that moment, the disciples are with Jesus. They have seen him do amazing things in the past. And they don't even know what to ask in that moment. Do you, do you not care about us? They don't even know what to ask. And, and Jesus goes far beyond what they ever would have imagined. That No one ever expected to even ask, you know, hey, maybe you could calm this storm. And yet he does. And in the, the Gospel of Matthew where it speaks of this, it says that the disciples marveled at this work of Christ, this work that was far more abundant than they ever dreamed. See, we, we just don't often grasp the power of our God. You, we don't grasp that, that God loves us and is, and is mighty. You know, many, many of you know I, I enjoy the band, The Counting Crows. Um, I won't commend them to you. Um, <laughs> and, and that's because they, they lack this, this understanding of the grace of God in the gospel. And in fact, that's why I mentioned them here today, because uh, there's times that I'll read their lyrics or hear their lyrics, and it just breaks my heart and, and, and you know I'll mention one of them today there's a a song uh, that they sing and it just saddens and frustrates me because it's so absolutely wrong it, it's the line is this it says Jesus loves me more than I know but less than I need and it's heartbreaking because even in that line you, you can see it there is this this understanding this sense of a need and, and yet a failure to see how Christ really does meet that need when we are united to him in faith. In, in other words, the, the truth is, in response to that line, is that if your faith is in Jesus, then there is more grace in God than there is need for grace in you or I. See, our God is, is able to meet every single need we have and then some. Our, our second verse, verse 21 here, um, continues this doxology of praise just spewing out of Paul. And, and he says this, he says, um, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul's reason for busting forth 
in this praise to God is that he himself is amazed by God and he wants to encourage the, the church in Ephesus, the Christians there, and he wants to encourage you and I and anyone who's read this throughout history um, to begin to join him, rather, in singing these praises to God, uh, for singing our praises to God because he is so absolutely glorious. And that's why Paul begins with this phrase, to him be glory. To him be glory. We learn often in, in Scripture that God desires glory, and, and sometimes you read that, and it just sounds selfish of God, right, on, on some level. Why, why does he care about getting all the glory? Why? Um, a, a few weeks ago, my, my children in Beckham and, and Berkeley were playing with Lego people, and they have the most amazing conversations with these people some days. Um, but I was listening, and, and Beckham's character asked, asked Berkeley's character, why, why does he want all the gold? That's the question. And, and Berkeley's little guy from her voice responded, he doesn't want all their gold. He's really rich. All the gold is already his. God's like that with glory. God is really, really glorious. He's not asking to take anyone's glory. All the glory is already his. We, we see in our, our text today then these, these two places where God the Father is glorified in the church and in, in Christ Jesus. Uh, let's consider each of these. Yes, um, God's glory is, is seen in sunsets. I hope you take time to, to see these kind of things. When you see shooting stars in the, in the dark nights where, you know, when the miracle of birth, God is glorified. When you look over the Grand Canyon or something majestic like that, God is certainly glorified. And yet there is this, this special venue here that that God is said to be glorified in, and that's the church. Isn't that why we, we gather together? Isn't why you get up and you go through rain and cold when, when you could cuddle in and have some brunch this morning? Isn't that why we gather to worship God, to praise Him, uh, to glorify Him because He is glorious? Isn't that why we, we sit under the preaching of God's Word and why we sing out praises to God with the musicians and, and why we partake in the sacrament and, and, and the Lord's Supper each week and, 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 you know, just come and we rest and we find rest in the, in the gospel because of all that we've seen Christ do for us on the cross. Now, there's, there's certainly individual aspects to our faith. For instance, no one can have someone else believe for them. It just can't be done that way. There's an individual aspect, but, but you notice the focus here in this passage is, is on the church as a, a unified whole. Uh, there's a group. And, and Paul's going to be unpacking this unity in, in chapter 4, as we're going to see in the coming weeks, and so we'll get more to that later. But, but, but then the, the, my, you know, the, the constant prayer that we, we have as a church is that God will be glorified in this local congregation. congregation. He'll be glorified in the way that we, we love Him, the way that we we trust his word, the way that we seek obedience to it, the way that we, we love each other and we seek to serve each other in the name of Christ and the power of the, the spirit that is at work within us. And then the, the second place that we see that God is glorified is in Christ Jesus. And that sounds a little odd at first. You know, how is God glorified in, in Christ Jesus? You think about the, the life of Jesus, the work of Christ. He, Jesus submits to the Father by obeying him. Jesus loves the Father he does the will of the Father. You know, this is, this is the prayer for us. And, you know, because in a, in, a, in a really real sense, the way we've seen in Ephesians over and over and over again is, is that we have this union with Christ. 
Our identity is in Christ. And that identity is greater than any other identity you're going to have in your life. It is greater than, than man or, or was woman, husband or wife, soldier or student, Democrat, Republican, whatever it might be. There is no greater identity in your life than that you, are, you have union with Christ and therefore identified with him. So our doxology, or Paul's doxology rather, comes to this end uh, in saying that, <clears throat> that God is to be glorified throughout all generations forever and, and ever. Amen. There's that redundancy again. Um, we tend to think everything today come, becomes obsolete, and it does real quick, doesn't it? Um, your iPhone 3, that was the most amazing device ever. You know, you'd show it to people, and they would want to touch it. Um, it's absolutely worthless. I mean, I could throw iPad 3, or, you know, iPod, or what are they called? iPhone 3's out right now, and you wouldn't even want it. Like, what am I going to do with that? It doesn't work. You know, uh, a 2001 Camry was an amazing car. 16 years ago. Now the AC doesn't work. The windows won't roll up. It's pretty much, you know, a piece of junk. But this is the thing about the, the glory of God. It never, ever, ever loses its luster. It's not going to be replaced by something newer. It won't grow old and useless. It's, it's not going to be stolen. It can't be stolen or rot away. It's a beautiful thing. And then Paul closes this, this prayer with the word amen. I don't know if you know this. one of those... Fun facts, the word amen is never translated in any language. It's the same word in every language wherever you go. Um, it's a word that's used to convey this idea that I wholeheartedly agree with the content of that prayer or that statement. Um, and so what do we do with our, our passage then, right? Amen ends it. He's concluded this prayer. Uh, but what do we do with this doxology? I'll say this, and in case you missed it, uh, a major point here is that uh, whatever it is that you are facing, Whatever it is that you are facing, God is able to do far more abundantly than you ask or think. And that's clear because that's right in the passage, right? In fact, here's the other thing. God already has done amazing things in your life. And I'm, I encourage you to look back at your life to see the way that God has already done amazing things beyond what you would have ever have expected or thought or even known to ask for. You think about the, the friendships, the relationships, the places you are, jobs, just the way um, God has worked. I'll, <clears throat> I'll tell you a, a story that just blew me away last week or a week before. I, I was down in Mississippi about 10 days ago, and I, and I met this guy who's an elder in a PCA church like we are, uh, and he mentioned in passing during this conversation, this, this phrase came out of his mouth after I got out of prison. My ears kind of, I think I heard him say, after I got out of prison. You know, I start thinking, I wonder how many speeding tickets he forgot to pay. Um, but, but really, I was just curious about this. And so at a later moment, when he wasn't surrounded by a bunch of people, I, I asked him, did I, did I hear you say after I got out of prison earlier? Maybe that wasn't the most tactful way to ask. But he said, yeah, let me tell you about it. And he begins to, to tell me this story that in the, in the 1980s, that's before many of you were born, uh, he was in the Army. And he was stationed in uh, Monterey, California, when a fellow soldier came up to him and, and offered to pay him, to hire him to kill his wife, um, to murder his wife. And a few days later, he was in the act of actually attempting to, to do so outside this, this woman's house. And at that moment, right as it was happening, a police officer shows up on the scene and, and stops it. The uh, examiners later said that another 10 seconds and he would have actually killed this woman. 
So while awaiting his trial, many Christians in this, this jail invited him to, to come to a Bible study. He said he hated Christians. He thought they were ridiculous, weak people. Um, he thought Christianity in general was ridiculous. And so in so many words, he just he told them, leave him alone. Well, sometime later, it was actually the day before his trial was to begin, he needed to use the, uh, a phone that somehow you can use in the prison that, in order to get his brother to bring some document to him that was going to be needed. And the only way he could get out of his cell was if he agreed to go to this, this Bible study. And he thought, fine, I'll go sit through that ridiculous thing. And while sitting there in this Bible study, he hears in God's word the, the guilt of all people because of their sin and the forgiveness for all who look to Jesus with faith. And, and what happened in that moment is that the word of God just cut him to the marrow. It, it broke him. He saw his guilt. He felt it like he had never, ever felt before. And he was so overwhelmed with the, the grace of the gospel which God had opened his eyes to in that moment. So the next day, he, he tells his lawyer that he wants to plead guilty because he is guilty. And his lawyer, she, she said to him, you can't do that. The worst case scenario, best case scenario, is you're going to get 40 years in prison. That's the rest of your life. And the worst case scenario, the army is going to execute you. And he, he told her it doesn't matter. That's the truth. That's what I've got to do. And he's just, the gospel has made him unafraid of what the consequences are. And that courtroom was filled when they go in there that, that day, and the reporters and the cameras, it was a big deal in the media. And, and when his lawyer unexpectedly announced that he was pleading guilty, the whole room went absolutely silent. No one expected that. In fact, the, the prosecutor dropped his pen, he said. Everyone could hear it in the silence. And for whatever reason, that prosecutor afterwards stands up, and he, he ends up dropping some of the charges against him so that this man receives 15 years in prison. 25 years less than what he was uh, told was the best-case scenario. So he begins to read the scriptures um, in prison. He begins to pray every day. He, he read every theological book he could get his hands on, and there happened to be a PCA chaplain who provided him with some fantastic books during that time. He started a church in prison. Never would have crossed my mind to do that. Um, and he sought to glorify God in his life right where he was, which happened to be in a prison. Uh, and, and here's where it really even gets a little more interesting, and we'll be done here in a minute. But um, as he traced the sovereign work of God, even in that terrible crime, one of the things he learned about later was that he would have committed that murder that night except for one crazy little thing that happened. The, the police officer who, who caught him before he ended up killing this man's wife, uh, the police officer's daughter that day was, was very sick, but she had to go to work. And so she had a friend come to her house and was watching her, her daughter. So Halfway through her, her, uh, her shift, the officer takes this back road off her normal rounds to go check on her sick daughter. And because of that, she ended up at the scene of the crime just as it was taking place. She was able to stop it. Had she not turned down that road, or even had she done it 15 seconds later, this man would have murdered this woman, and he would have been executed by the state. And I, I tell you this, you know, because God is able to do what we can't even imagine. In this case, you think about the conversion of this man, you know. In our cases, you think, you know, your family members and your friends that they might just seem so incredibly cold to the gospel that you've, you've written it off as absolutely impossible. They may, they may seem like the most impossible person to ever believe the gospel. And, and, and what we've learned today in God's word in this passage in Ephesians is that um, 
you know, and, and really just in the lives of people and your own lives over and over again is this truth that God is able to give faith to believe, even to those who we have written off as never, ever, ever going to believe the gospel. I, I tell you that so you'll keep praying, so you'll keep asking the Lord for their, their salvation, that you'll keep speaking the word of truth, that you'll keep remembering that, that God is able to do infinitely more than we might even dream of. And that also means that you can face terrible news from the doctor. That means you can fight that habitual sin in your life that you've just decided is absolutely impossible that you'll ever, you'll ever find defeating or victory over. You know, with the power at work within you, it, it is stoppable. You, you can find confidence that because it's about the glory of God and the glory of God absolutely matters to God. So then we're, we're almost done here. But you might be thinking, you know, Brian, I'm I'm convinced God is able. I was convinced from the beginning. My bigger question is, is God willing? And that kind of the, the question we have. And the quick answer is certainly yes. God is willing to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. And if you question that, you just look to the cross and you think about what God was, was willing to actually do for you. And I know that's not the same as saying that God will do exactly what it is we ask or desire. Um... I'll tell you this much, what we can trust is that God loves us. And so when things don't go the way we ask or think they should go, you know, say a loved one is is facing a medical crisis and you pray for a miracle cure, that miracle cure does not come. You know, God was certainly able to save them and he didn't. This is when we must learn to, to wait on the Lord, to trust the Lord, even in those tears of great sorrow. That's not an easy thing to do. But we can know that in the bigger scheme of things, um, we're not God. But he is, and he loves us, and he's able. You know, we have every reason in the world to trust God because God loves us, and, and that his reasons are good, even if, if in our own minds, and our own hearts, we can't fathom the reasons ourselves. So listen, God is always worthy of our giving him glory. I'll read you a thing. Brian Chapel wrote this. He said, Cancers do come. Tragedies do strike. One baby of a faithful couple lives and another dies. Capable people serve in difficult and obscure places all of their lives. There may be no evidence of the sovereign and personal love of God since what he is doing is beyond our asking or imagining. But there is yet glory to give Christ in these situations. He is the one whose very life and ministry make evident that what God is able to do on an eternal plane, beyond what we can ask or imagine, is for his glory and for the eternal blessings of those who love him. So I'll I'll tell you, drink deeply of scripture. Drink deeply of scripture so that you can see just how wonderful God is and so that like Paul, we might just overflow in this doxology, just overflow in this praise to God. You know, may, may your life and lips express doxology, words of praise to God because of his saving us from our sin, because of his, his grace and his love and his kindness and his power and his, his holiness and because of his great glory. I keep telling you we're going to finish it up. We're about done right here. Um, I'll just finish with this, a, a question and a, and a verse. First, the question. It's a question for you to ponder. I really want you to ponder this. Write it down if you want. Um, what are you looking to God to do? 
That is, what are, you, what are you asking God to do in your life that only God can do? So that if he does it, only God can receive the glory. I'll say it one more time. What are you asking God to do that only God can do so that if he does it, only God can receive the glory? Think about that today. And then we'll end here with Romans eleven thirty six. It says this. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Let's pray.